0: Good times and bad times come with their own unique temptations, and we are open to them whenever we walk through them. Uh, This is why we hear Paul talk about his great sufferings in his life as an apostle and the temptations that were upon him to, to leave the name of Christ or not to preach. If he would just relent in his preaching, he wouldn't suffer so much, and such great temptation was upon him as he was preaching in that way. And then at the same time, we read of the church in Laodicea, who was suffering no persecution and were actually very wealthy. We read about them in the book of Revelation. And Jesus writes them a letter and says, You think you are rich, but you don't realize that you are poor and pitiable and blind and naked. In their wealth, they had forgotten their need for him and their love for him. And so while on the one hand Paul is suffering, he is facing one kind of temptation and the Laodiceans and their wealth had faced a different kind of temptation. This happens even in seasons of our lives. You might think of a young man who uh, meets a, a woman that he just falls for, loves her. And much to his surprise, she likes him back too and even agrees to marry him. And they they get married and they have a wonderful honeymoon together and several years together. Their first years are just wonderful. And the Lord gives them children and gives him a good job. And he's enjoying a sweet marriage with a wife that he loves. He's enjoying wonderful children and he's doing a good job. And he just seems to be getting everything that he wants. And he may not realize that he's losing his sense of dependence on the Lord it's hard to cry out to God with dependence on him when you're getting everything you want in this life. And so, so a unique set of temptations faces him in these good times. And then let's say just in a, in a tragic moment, the Lord takes that wife from him. And now he's, now he's mourning Now a totally different set of temptations is on him. Temptation to to rail against the Lord for taking someone that he loves from him. Temptation to grow weary in doing good as he tries to care for his children and work his job at the same time. Temptation to just forget about the church and walk out in his loneliness and grief and say, I just don't need these people asking me these questions anymore. A whole different set of temptations that he never faced. Our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion at all times looking for someone to devour. And the times we think that we're safe, the times we feel safe, we aren't safe. But what we're going to see in these two psalms today is that though it's dangerous, we don't need to be afraid. If you're just joining us, we are in the second sermon now in a series on the Psalms of Ascent. And these psalms were gathered together sometime after Israel's exile for the people of Israel to sing while they traveled from their hometowns to the mountain of Jerusalem for religious festivals three times a year. They were traveling from a place where God was far to the place where God was near, and they were walking a long, dangerous, wearying journey. But they were walking together in groups, and they were singing these songs the whole way. And in that way, their journey is like your life as a Christian, walking from a place where God is far to the place where God dwells, walking a a dangerous and long path that is wearying, but doing it together as a group, and, and singing the whole way. And so we find in these psalms a lot of meaning for our journey homeward to Zion in the Christian life. The psalms are arranged symmetrically, and so we looked last week at the first one and the last one, and this week we're going to pair together the second one and the second to last of the Psalms of Ascent and see the links between the two that the Lord shows us. So let's look together at Psalm 121 and then Psalm 133. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And now Psalm 133, a song of ascent of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, on running down the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded blessing, life forevermore. In these words which the Lord wrote for us, the Spirit promises to protect us all the way home and then revive us when we get there. Much like last week's two psalms, these two contrast the beginning and the end of the journey, right? The starting line of the Christian race when we are walking through a difficult world and the finish line of the Christian race when we arrive home at Mount Zion where God dwells. In the first psalm, This psalmist is weary of the things that he was talking about in the previous psalm, the kind of stuff we talked about last week. He is walking through a dark world. There is deception all around him. There are hostile people all around him. And he is just weary of all of the lies and all of the hostility. And so he looks up to the Lord and he says, God, I lift my eyes to the hills. He puts his eyes on the hills surrounding Jerusalem and the mountain of Jerusalem. And he says, where does my help come from? comes from there, comes from where the Lord dwells. And the Lord sends a helper to him, even the very Spirit of God to him. And the next thing we hear is another voice talking to this traveler. Is it the person beside him in the caravan encouraging him? Is it the Spirit of God himself speaking to him? We don't know. Someone talks to him and encourages and says, the Lord won't let your foot slip on this journey. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in on this journey. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun's not going to strike you by day. The moon's not going to strike you by night. The Lord is coming and he is with you and he will deliver you all the way home. So he looks to the hills for deliverance, for help, and then he hears a verse tell him of how much help God is sending to him. Then in our second psalm today in 133, the second to last of the Psalms of Ascents. He has arrived. Now he's not crying out for help, right? He is there, and he looks around. The environment is so different. He was once looking along to the hills in the distance. Now he's on the hill, and everyone is there. And he says, oh, how good it is. Like, everyone is here. Some of you know a lot of people in this room, and you can look around and say, oh, Everybody's here. He's here. She's here. Oh, they're here. I'm so glad. And then he gives two word pictures about how glad that makes him. They both sound awkward to us. Both of them pictures of the Lord pouring out his spirit on someone or something. The Lord pouring his spirit upon Aaron, the high priest. Or the spirit sending the water down the mountain as it rushes down and gives life to the mountain. Both images of the spirit falling on you and refreshing you. Saying, ah, we're here. So you can feel the contrast between the two, right? One is a, a tiring journey, but you've got help. And the other one is the gladness when you when you finally arrived. There are some connections between the two of them. That's why they're arranged as a pair. In one, he's looking off in the distance to the hills, and the other one he's arrived at the hill. And they both give us a lot of images of how the Spirit of God operates, the Spirit of God being a big theme in both of them. So what I want to do this morning is give you a quick summary of what the Christian life is like as a race, which kind of serves as a foundation. You've got to understand that for the images in the psalm to make sense. And then we'll walk through what these psalms teach us about the Spirit of God's work in your life if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So three truths about the Christian life as a race before we get into these psalms. First, you begin the race by coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So, the Christian life is a race. You are trying to get to the finish line where God is. You only start the race by coming to faith in Jesus. What is that, you might ask? Well, there is a point in many people's lives, in many of our lives, there was a point in my life where the heart wakes up to to truths and, and it connects the dots. The conscience wakes up to the fact that I'm a sinner, right? I do wrong. And sinners deserve to die and sinners deserve to be judged. Now we have enough of this in our hearts to know this. We all have the feeling in our hearts that we do bad things and we all have enough in our hearts to know that sinners deserve to be judged. We know that's in our hearts because we point the finger at other people when they do wrong. We say you shouldn't do that, right? So we know that those who do wrong deserve to be judged And there comes a point in many lives where we start connecting the dots and saying, wait a minute, if I know and can feel in my heart that I have done wrong, and I know and can feel in my heart that those who do wrong deserve to die and deserve to be judged forever, that means I deserve to die and be judged forever. Those feelings in the heart are right because there is a God in heaven who holds us accountable for everything that we do. And he will come in power and judge the living and the dead. And so the heart begins to cry out saying, what will I do? I I am destined to die and be judged forever. And then the good news of the gospel enters in. The good news of the gospel is that God has sent his son, God and man, Jesus Christ, who who lived here on the earth a, a full life And lived without sin, subject to the same temptations that we were subject to, but but he never sinned. And then he died willingly. And he did that, even though he didn't sin, only sinners deserve to die and be judged. But he chose to die so that he could offer himself as a substitute for us, paying for, for our sins. And now he just holds open his hand. He says, I have died and I have risen and I am alive forever and anyone who wants forgiveness in my name can come to me and receive it. That's the good news of the gospel. And so so there's a call open to you if you have never received it. Jesus holds open in his hand forgiveness and eternal life secured by his death and resurrection. To receive that, all you have to do is receive it, right? If you can say, I want to be a child of God again, like, I want, I want to walk with God again and have a relationship with Him, and I want to live forever with Him and not be condemned for my sins. You can have that freely in Christ Jesus. And the day you receive that, you begin the race. Now, your goal is to get to the finish line. And that's the second foundational truth I want to give you. You have to finish the race to receive the prize. Now, a real race works like this too, right? If you If it's a four-lap race and you run three laps and then you stop, you don't get three-quarter credit. You get a DNF, did not finish, right? Did not complete the race. Uh, And the Christian life works the same way. If you live for 80 years and on your 70th birthday you leave Jesus Christ, you don't finish the race. You don't get the prize. First John talks about people like this. It says, they went out of us because they were never of us, right? Sometimes we think we have come to faith in Christ Jesus and deceive ourselves, and that shows when we leave, when times get hard or when times get too good. If we don't finish the race, we don't receive the prize. Paul talks about this with these very same words. He says, at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So, so to finish the race is to stay a Christian, to keep believing in Jesus all the way to the end. So, if whatever hardship you're going through right now takes your life from you, but it doesn't take your faith from you, you finish the race. That's victory, right? To hang on to the end is victory. So, you make it to the end, you finish the race, you receive the prize and the third foundational truth here which most of this psalm is about is that god has sent his spirit to make sure that you finish the race so he's sent his spirit he says in john 14 jesus says i will ask the father and he will give you another helper that same word where does my help come from he says god will give you a helper to be with you forever the spirit of truth you know him for he dwells in you and he will be in you so If you're a Christian, you need to know Jesus has asked his father, would you send your spirit to dwell in him or dwell in her? And God's spirit dwells within you. And he does a whole lot of things. One of the things he does is make sure that you do finish the race. If you grow weary and collapse, he will revive you and bring you back and bring you all the way to the end. So yes, you must finish the race to receive the prize, but don't be scared. The Lord has sent His spirit to make sure that you finish that race. That's what brings us to this psalm where we see a lot of image about a pilgrim who is on the way to Jerusalem and from the hills God sends help, a helper who makes sure that he doesn't perish, that his feet don't ever slip. So we're going to look at three truths about the Spirit's work in your life from this first psalm, and then one truth about the Spirit's work in your life from this second psalm from 133. First, here's the first truth about the Spirit's work in your life as a Christian from Psalm 121, and it's this, the Spirit will never let you perish, the Spirit will never let you perish. We see this through a couple of images, uh, one in verse 3 and then another in verse 7. Look at verse 3 with me where he says, He will not let your foot be moved or he will not let your foot slip. Right? If I stand on the very edge of this here, some of you I know will get very nervous for me because what if my foot slips right, in the middle of the worship service and the pastor's on his face? down there. We don't want that, right? Well, in that same way, some of you have taken like a, a hike on a mountain or through a canyon and a valley with steep drop-offs, and you know what it's like to have a really perilous part of the journey where, okay, if I slip right here, I will perish, right? This will be bad. And these kind of journeys that these people had, it sounds like it had some parts like that, and the Lord is saying, he will not let your foot slip in those parts of the journey. He will not let you fall down to the bottom of that canyon. He will keep you safe in those moments of peril. And then we see the same thing again with different words in verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. And then he tells us what that means. He will keep your life. So this pilgrim has a guarantee, right? Like you are, you are headed to Jerusalem where God is. The Lord is not going to let you perish on this journey. The Lord's going to guard your life. He will keep you from all evil. So he knows he's not going to die along the way. And there are similar promises given to us as Christians. On our journey, our eternal life will not perish. Your faith will not perish all the way to the end because the Spirit of God is working in you to make sure that you never perish. This is a message that is given through and through in the New Testament over and over again Uh, Paul writes to the Philippians, and he's in jail, and he's under, like I said earlier, really tremendous pressure to deny the gospel, right? And he's got to give testimony before these governors, and usually he gets beaten after he does that, then he gets thrown back in prison, and this would all end if he would just deny Christ and just stop preaching. And so he's under a lot of temptation. And he says to them, for I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit— This will turn out for my deliverance, as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now and as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's confident whether I live through this imprisonment or whether I'm executed, I know I will honor Jesus with my body. And he calls that deliverance. This is going to turn out for my deliverance. That doesn't mean he's going to get released from prison necessarily. It means that either through death or through release, the Lord is going to keep his faith all the way to the end of this trial. And he says, I know this is going to happen because of two things, your prayers, people in Philippi, and because of the spirit of Christ that is working in me. So that spirit is working in him to make sure that in that trial, he does not perish. And he says later, maybe of the same trial or maybe a different one, I don't know. uh, He says, he looks back and he says, In that day, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. This is 2 Timothy 4. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So he looks back saying, God rescued me. I delivered the gospel faithfully. And then says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So he's promised. He knows from now to forevermore, God is going to protect me in these trials. He extends the same promise to others. He says uh, to the Corinthians that the Spirit will will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will come back. And If your faith is in him today, if you're guiltless today, you'll be guiltless in that day too because the Lord will sustain you all the way to the end. Or one that I was taught to memorize as a kid, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. Right? The Spirit started this work in you and he's not just going to fly away. Right? He is going to finish the job that he started. He will not let your faith perish along the way. This is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you know what you mean when you, when you pray that? Well, this psalm helps you understand in verse 7 what it means when we pray that. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Now, for us, that's a promise that He will keep our eternal life. Right? We, we will not lose our faith on this day. When you're praying, Lord, deliver me from evil, you're praying, Lord, don't let evil get to me to the point that I fall away from Christ today. Preserve my faith. Deliver me from evil. Carry me all the way home. And that is so important to pray that it's part of the Lord's prayer, right? And Jesus gives us in the Lord's prayer, here, here are the main things to ask for, right? Hallowed be your name. Would your name be regarded as holy, Would your kingdom come and your will be done? Meaning, would I and other people do your will and obey you? Would you give us this day our daily bread? Meaning, would you meet my needs for the day? Would you forgive my sins? And I forgive those who sin against me. Lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil. Keep my faith through this day so that I don't fall away from you. So with that picture of the psalmist's dependence on Jesus. And then the promises of the Spirit helping us like this. What the Lord is doing in your heart this morning is is just fanning into a flame your sense of dependence on the Spirit of God. How are you going to make it to the end of your Christian journey? Through the Spirit. You can't make it on your own, but through the Spirit, you can make it all the way to the end. And so that means what what we must do then is look to the Lord in full dependence, praying to Him, believing all of the Spirit's words in the Scriptures, and walking in Him by obeying in Him. So, So He's calling from us. A life of dependence on the Spirit of God that leads to prayer, that leads to believing His words, and that believe, that leads to obedience to Him. With that kind of dependence, if you can just throw yourself upon the Spirit and say, "Lord, carry me all the way to the end," that's how we live a full, flourishing Christian life, even in the greatest of hardships. So, how would? Uh, how would someone then... We've sent a couple of people off to college recently. Let's apply this to that. How would, how would someone who's going off to college at a, at a secular school and has all those temptations before them, right? The, the party scene over here, the crazy roommates over here who want you to go do crazy stuff with them, the cute girl over here who seems to like you and all the temptation that that brings, the brilliant professors Who are railing against the story of the Bible. One of them telling you that the creation story could not possibly be true. And another convincing you with utter brilliance that the truths of the Bible are socially unjust and invented to oppress minorities. How do you withstand all of that and keep your faith all the way to the end? Dependence on the Spirit of God. You lift your eyes up to the hills and say, where's my help come from? It comes from the Lord. Who made heaven and earth? He won't let my feet slip on this journey. The Lord will guard me and keep me, and the Lord will preserve my life. So that means then, with a a deep dependence on God's Spirit, you've got to become a a man or a woman of prayer. Let prayer be a regular part of what you're doing because you need Him. You need the Spirit. And let that dependence on the Spirit express itself in your dependence on the Word. When it says things you don't like, believe what it says. When your biology professor rants about creation, just go home and read Genesis 1 and let it nourish your soul because the words of the Spirit of God will sustain you all the way to the end. Uh, And when you're tempted to do this or to do that, uh, walk in the Spirit. Obey the commands of the Spirit through the Scriptures and live a holy life. Through that kind of walking the path with Him, the Lord will deliver you all the way home, and you can even make it through university like that. What about instead, let's go to the other end of life. Uh, what about someone who is, knows they're in the last years of their life? You know, you know, with good health, I only have five years left, and I, and I know it. How do you hang on knowing that all the good stuff is behind you and We have faith about what comes after death, right? We have hope, but we've never seen it. And so it gets kind of scary when it starts knocking on your door and you lose power and control over your body and you just have to resign to to coming death. How will you do that without caving into fear? Fear without losing your hope and saying, oh, all this was for nothing. This can't be true at the last moment. How do you make it through the last moment without losing your faith? With dependence on the Spirit of God. He has sent His Spirit to make sure that you do not perish. So cast yourself with all that desperation upon the Spirit of God and let Him carry you All the way to the end. Cry out to him in prayer. Lift your eyes up to the hills of Zion where God dwells. Hear his word read to you as much as you can hear and as much as you can still see. Read that word yourself and walk in obedience to his command. It depends on the spirit. You can make it all the way to the end. So that's the first truth we get from these psalms. The spirit will never let you perish. Second... The Spirit is always working for you. We get this in several different pictures. You see in verses 3 and 4, He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Right? You see that twice there. So basically, when you go to bed at night and aren't doing anything, He is still working to keep you. Because the one who keeps you is always working. And then we see later a few verses down in verse 6. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, for a journey like that, the day and the night had different dangers, right? Uh, Most of you know what it's like to be outside mowing the lawn in, in 90 degree heat with the sun blaring down upon you. It would get very hot in the day in that desert. You can feel it on your brow, and it's just making your skin so hot, and it is exhausting you. You're sweaty, you're tired. This is what the journey was like for them. And they're hearing the Lord say, the sun won't strike you by day. It won't exhaust you. It won't take all of your energy out of you. The Lord will shade you. And then the sun goes down and we all breathe a sigh of relief. Ah, it's cooling off. And then the thieves come out. And, and then the moon comes out. And now there's a very different set of dangers, right? Those who would want to attack us violently on the road. So whether by day or by night, uh, there were dangers there. Uh, I've talked to people who work the night shift and they will say that being up all night like that, like it just, it does something to you. It makes your brain fuzzy or something, right? It just does something to you. And they had a way of explaining that in the ancient world. They would call it moonstruck. If you were up too much in the night and the moon would hit you, you're moonstruck, which is kind of a word for crazy. It kind of makes you go crazy. And so here he is saying here, the sun is not going to strike you by day and the moon not going to strike you by night. The different dangers in the different seasons of life will not get to you. The Lord will protect you so that he can guard your faith all the way to the end. That means for us then in good times and bad times, uh, whether they're the temptations of riches or the temptations of poverty, uh, the Lord will not let the sun strike you by day Or the moon by night. And then the third image for this in in verse 8. We hear it two different ways. The Lord keeps both your going out and your coming in. And the second way, from this time forth and forevermore. Said two different ways. So when you left on your journey, when you hit the starting line of your Christian faith, the Lord is keeping you. And then when you arrive and you come into the gates of the new Jerusalem, the Lord is keeping your coming in as well. From the going out to the coming in, the whole journey, the Lord is keeping you. And in the same way, the next time, this time forth and forevermore, now and forever, the whole way there. So even when you're sleeping, he doesn't stop. Day and night, no matter what the season is like, he doesn't stop. And he's not going to grow weary and say, okay, I've taken care of you for 20 years. I'm done now. No, he's going to take care of you all the way to the end. The Spirit is always working for you. This is very good news for Christians who suffer from bipolar disorder. Uh, Many Christians, it's a common thing now, many people are suffering from this. Uh, If you've never heard of that, uh, it's a condition that many people have where you go through phases that you, you might say are really up and really down. A uh, phase that's really up when you're just so full of energy and want to do so many things that you're almost nervous about what you're going to do next and might go get yourself into trouble because you're so jazzed up. And then the switch flips the opposite direction and just no energy at all. Sometimes despair in the soul, just crushed. And people who go through this, they spend most of their lives at a, at a normal phase like us, but they say they, they never know when the next one's coming. And they never know which one it's going to be, right? Is it going to be an up phase or, or a down phase? But the good news here is whether it's the sun by day or whether it's the moon by night, the Lord is going to shield you. He's not going to let either of those phases take your faith from you. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in, whether you are jazzed up or whether you are crushed, The Lord will keep you. So you don't have to be scared of what's next, right? Now, there may be some suffering to come along with it, but you do not have to be scared that you will run away from Jesus Christ because, no, the Spirit will keep you whether it's day or whether it's night. This is good news for any of you who have had any great suffering in your life, and there's that haunting question of what if it comes back, right? Some of you have fought cancer and beat it. And then there's the question, well, what if it comes back, Some of you have fought depression and beat it. And there's the question though, right? What if it comes back? And we have to, we live in fear, like what if that comes back and paralyzes me again? And the good news here is that whatever comes next, the spirit is always working to protect you. The sun won't strike you by day or the moon, to strike you by night. Whether it's good years ahead or bad years ahead, the Lord will be right there with you, your shade at your right hand to protect you. This means something for the man I talked about in the beginning of the sermon, right? Remember that man? He married a wonderful wife, and then years later in tragedy, the Lord took the wife from him. It means that in both of those seasons of his life, day or night, the Lord is working to to care for him to protect him. And so what that means for us is whatever you're going through, if you're just kind of you know, going along and getting along or if you're in the cream of the crop best years or if you're in the dark night of the soul, wherever you are in life, just look to the Lord and lean upon him. Some of you are in very dark nights and you can sense deeply how, how desperate it makes you feel. Point that desperation To Jesus Christ, who will send his Spirit. He will ask his Father to send his Spirit to you and just lean on him with all you have. Hear his words, go to him in prayer constantly, believe what he tells you in the scriptures, walk in all of his ways, and just let him guide you all of the way home. That's the second truth the Spirit's always working for you, no matter what it is that you're going through. Third, the Spirit is strengthening you for good works. We only get one picture that tells us this. That's why I save it for later. Uh, in verse 5, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. Does that sound awkward to you? I would like the Lord to be my shade on my eyes, right? Isn't that where you put your ball cap? Like right there to shade your eyes. Why is He your shade on your, on your right hand? There must be some meaning in that. They must have said it that way for a reason. And in fact, in the scriptures, the right hand is the one you do everything with. It's the one your works are done with. It's what your power is. So the right hand of the Lord is the power of the Lord. And you in your life, if you turn the keys to your car, you probably turn them with the right hand. And if you pick up your phone, you're probably holding it in your right hand first, unless you two hand it and turn it on its side. Whatever you're doing, so much of it, writing so much of it, you're doing with your right hand. Lefties, I'm sorry to leave you out. We love you. Just bear with us and reverse the image for yourself or something like that, right? The, uh, he's talking about the, the hand that we have strength with and, and do our work with. And so for him to say the Lord is your shade on your right hand is to say that the Lord is protecting your strength so that you can do stuff, right? So that you can write and turn the keys to the car and, and do all that other stuff. He is protecting you for good works. He doesn't just want you to make it to the end of the race. He does want that for you. But he wants you all along the way doing good works for others, bringing the gospel to the nations, helping those who are in need caring for the people that in your family and your church, serving the church with dignity and distinction. He wants you full and adorned with good works. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we read of him encouraging women to be adorned with good works like jewelry and clothing, right, all over. He wants you adorned in good works. And we're seeing here that the Spirit is strengthening you for those good works. We see this in a few other places in the scriptures as well. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The reason the Spirit came into you and made you new was for, for good works. Right, You're recreated in him for good works. And whatever good works he's got for you tomorrow, he's already prepared them for you to walk through them by the power of the Spirit. In Revelation 7, we read about the people, the saints, who are going through the Great Tribulation. That's when the persecution of the world gets even more terrible than we've ever imagined it. It says even seven years. Is that figurative or literal? I don't know, but it looks terrible. And the Christians who are there, can you imagine how much misery they might be in in those days? It says of them, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne... Will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Same imagery as this psalm, right? He is protecting people, even in that terrible tribulation, protecting them so that they can do good works. And he's so confident they're going to make it to the end. He speaks of their presence there as if they were already there, even though they're going through the tribulation. So so fascinating. He's protecting them for good good works. So this is part of what the Lord wants for you and part of why he's strengthening you so that you can do good works. How then, let's think about a middle schooler for a minute. Man, I don't know about you, my middle school years were just miserable. Man, that was a hard time in life. I mean algebra, come on, goodness. Okay, so how do you deal with algebra and the the bullies that are there in the school And you're trying to make friends, but it's awkward and it's weird. And then you've got a teacher who doesn't seem to care for you very much. Uh, And then on top of that, your body is changing and going through all this awkward stuff that makes you so insecure and you don't understand what's going on. How do you make it through all of that and still have energy to serve your church to serve your siblings and do kind things for them, to help out in the house and to do your schoolwork well? Like, how do you have enough energy to go through all those awkward middle school years and still do good works and serve others? There's only one way you can do that. If the Lord is your shade at your right hand, if the Lord is protecting you for good works, right? And then years later, what about just an an exhausted parent? I mean, I remember when the kids were young and they were sweet years, but we were tired all the time. Uh, If you're a stay-at-home mom, I mean, how do you have the energy to change diapers all day and night and prepare meals and keep the house there and discipline this child and teach this child this thing and uh, and then go out and and go to the grocery store and actually go and do things? You're up all night nursing and changing diapers and then your husband comes home and how do you have any energy left to, to do good works and serve him and love him and care for him? And then after that, to, to serve the church and like serve with the kids ministry or something on Sunday morning and then come on Wednesday night and be studied and prepared for Bible study. Like how on earth do you do all of that, right? There's only one way that you can do that if the Lord strengthens you, if he is your shade at your right hand, strengthening you for good works. So this is a call for some of us then. Many of us were doing too much before covid and then COVID hit, and we took a break, and we looked back and said, mercy, I was doing too much. I'm just going to stop doing stuff, right? And, and now we're looking and saying, so like, how, how would I ever have the energy, like, to serve again and to, and to do things for the church again? When life is so hard and I'm still tired from all of that stuff, you can do it because the Lord is your strength, at your right hand. Maybe he's calling some of you to to be back in the game and to serve again at the level that you once served at. And there are others of you who are serving as much or more as you were serving before, and you can testify to this. Yeah, I never thought I'd be able to do all this, but the Lord is my shade at my right hand. He is protecting me and caring for me. So the way we apply that to our lives is just don't grow weary in doing good, right? It's tiring, a lot of good works to be done, But the Lord is strengthening you for good works. The Spirit is doing that in your heart. So there's three truths from Psalm 121 about the Spirit's work in your life. Now we look instead at Psalm 133, and we just see one truth there. He arrives, and now he's just, you can almost feel him go, ah, right? He's just so relieved, And he first says it is so good that that we're all here together in unity. Like, you ever go on a long vacation and then you finally make it there? And, ah, right, he he feels that with the people. And then he compares it to two images of the Spirit of God kind of being poured on someone to give them life. Uh, Aaron, the priest, uh, anointed by God to stand between God and men. How are you going to stand between God and men, right? You're going to need help from the Spirit. And so the anointing oil is poured upon him, and this is a symbol of God's Spirit pouring down upon him, equipping him for the work as priest. And he feels that oil go down his head and down his beard and down his robes, and he says, ah, the Lord is with me, and so I can do this. And then... The dew of Mount Hermon, the only snow-capped peak in Israel, it also collected a lot of dew because it was kind of like our Smoky Mountains. It had a lot of moisture on it. And that dew would collect and then it would run down the mountain and all the really dry areas down there would just teem forth with life. And it's like a like a Mountain Dew commercial in the 80s, you know, just like running down there and there's life everywhere. And we're like, ah, yes, right. The image of the Spirit pouring down upon us and we are filled with life. The Psalms love to use that rivers running down the mountain and giving life image for the Spirit of God. They do that all the time. So two awkward images for us, but the point is that feeling of the presence of the Lord just being poured out upon you. Now, for this psalmist, that's the Spirit of God because he's still on earth. He's in the earthly temple. When you and I arrive at the New Jerusalem on Mount Zion, when Jesus Christ comes back and says the dwelling place of God will be with man, it won't just be the Spirit that we'll be present with. We'll be present with with Jesus himself, right? Looking him right in the the face. And we'll be even present with, with God the Father. No one has ever seen God. But, but we will be with God the Father in his temple. Just an incredible thing to think about. What's that going to feel like? Just refreshment poured out upon your head. That reviving and new life of God's presence. You're going to feel that all the time. Some of you know a little bit of what that's like. I, I know in the darkest season of my life, there's a couple month period there where I just felt the Spirit very close to me. Standing by me strength in strengthen strength me, like Paul says. And some of you maybe have felt that at a time in your life. You know, like I was just, he was so close to me in that time. That was just a little taste, that little pouring upon you. Just a little taste of what you will have in heaven. Maybe the best picture I can give that we can all relate to if you've ever gone for a long walk outside or mowed the lawn outside or done anything that just got you really hot and really sweaty outside and you go inside and and you step in the shower and that perfect temperature water just pours out on your head runs down your face and just runs down your shoulders and you know that feeling like ah oh, right your hot sweaty self just refreshed with a good shower. That is just something of what it is going to be like to dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. His presence poured out upon you like this. So now, He's strengthening you for the journey and making sure you make it there. But when you get there, He doesn't stop His work. He is going to continually refresh you with His presence over and over again. And you will, as it says... Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And maybe I'll leave you with those words. Really, these two Psalms are like unpacking the last two words of the 23rd Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's the first one. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the second one. Church, goodness and mercy is going to follow you the whole day of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go to prayer.